I'm going to send it back to you uh, via email so you can see exactly what I plan on um, attributing to you. Um, okay. So the, the first question I wanted to ask, um, again, understanding a little bit about uh, about your you know phenomenal work. Um, where are you from? Why did you establish the IKG uh, Cultural Resource Center? And in your opinion, why is it important for African Americans or diaspora Africans to learn African history? I am um, from Chicago, Illinois. I transferred to Howard University in 1971, graduated in 74. And upon graduating from Howard, I, I felt that there was a wealth of information about who I was as a person of African ancestry that I never received as part of my formal educational process. So I began seeking seeking out people in D.C. and information in D.C. that could help me feel good about who I was. Um, I took a course in African African spirituality by Anana Kwame Brown, who has an office right around the corner from WEAC Radio. Mm. And that really helped me understand who I was as a person of African ancestry and what my, what my mission was in life. In 1977, I met Dr. Ivan Van Sertema, who had just published The Came Before Columbus, The African Presence in America. And I learned from him uh, for the first time that the ancient Egyptians were black. Mm -hmm. Then I began studying Egyptian history, went to Egypt in 1980 with Dr. Ben, saw the, our glorious history for myself with my own eyes. And then uh, on February the 3rd, 1982, I created IKG as a forum disseminate information about the positive portrayal of the worldwide African experience. Okay. We're 40 years old this year. Happy birthday and happy anniversary. Um, and, and, and thank you again for, for, for all of the, the work that you've done. Um, I have never uh, had the benefit of visiting, but I plan on doing that soon. Um, if it, like soon, like next week, if possible. Well, actually, uh, our offices, we, we have offices in the Thurgood Marshall Center, 1815 12th Street, Northwest. Okay. And the building has been shut down to the public since March of 2020. Mm. So I'm hoping that it opens soon. We have a special project that we've been waiting to unveil. And as of right now, our tentative date for the unveiling is on um, is June the 4th. It is, uh, it is a, uh, it's a, a display uh, that is dedicated to the spirit of John Henry Clark. Mm. And it's, it's designed to illustrate the unspoken history of African people um, in the world, in the United States, and in Washington, D.C. Mm. Okay. I plan on being there. I definitely, definitely plan on being there. Um, so the next question I wanted to ask you is um, considering... And this is, I mean, this, you know, recently, but then also, again, since since you've been, you know, working um, throughout the city, what do you think uh, makes D.C. and Washingtonians so unique? Um, and then the second part of that is uh, considering the, spec the perspectives of local artists, activists and grassroots organizations. Um, can you share your thoughts about the culture of the city? Sure. Uh, what makes uh, D.C. unique is that uh, it's the nation's capital. Uh, D.C. is the capital of the wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history. Uh, as a student of history, as a lover of ancient Egyptian history, in 1986, I created an activity that is now known as the Egypt on the Potomac Field Trip. 
where I, I um, outlined specific architectural structures in Washington, D.C. that have a direct correlation historically, culturally, symbolically, and even spiritually to ancient Egypt. And so we take people around and show them how the history of African people has literally been hidden in plain sight. Washington Monument is a 6,000-year-old African symbol. Uh, there's African symbols of the Ankh uh, in, in Meridian Hill Park. Mm-hmm. There's other symbolism that speaks to the United States' uh, unspoken admiration for the intellectual capacity of ancient African people. Mm-hmm. But we have to dig that out. So that energy went into the creation of this city. And so black folk here in D.C. have a special energy, a special consciousness. One of the things that I've found is that many of the movers and shakers in Washington, D.C. have come here from somewhere else. Mm. Um, Dr. Francis Chris Wilson, uh, uh, you know, Greg Carr, uh, you know, Ernest White, myself, mm-hmm. and so many others who have made a name in D.C. have done so because D.C. was, uh, 30 years ago, D.C. was Chocolate City. Mm. Uh, D.C. was a, a city that was predominantly run by people of African ancestry, Mary and Barry, bless his soul, did everything within his power to make sure that African-American youth got a job, mm-hmm. um, made sure that there were business opportunities available to African-American people uh, as um, others would come in to do construction work, to, to do contracting work. Mm-hmm. He made sure that we had a slice of the pie. So during his administration, African-Americans were able to develop uh, institutions and organizations that have helped to transform this city and transform this nation. Um, one of the things that saddens me is that um, this information about African people and culture has not been thoroughly integrated into the public school system in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence, our children are failing and have been failing for decades. Dr. Carter G. Woodson, um, understood this when he wrote the Miseducation of the Negro, uh, when he established Negro History Week. He understood what the problems were then, and he was a prophet because we are still confronting those same problems today. Mm-hmm. So it's been the, the responsibility of advocates here in the city to, to raise the issues of who we are and what we have the capacity to do not just to white folks in order for us to get our civil rights, but to our own people so that we can understand who we are and become more self-determining so that we can free ourselves from this endless cycle of having to march, protest, and beg white people to treat us, uh, to treat us better. Absolutely. Um, thank you for that. completely agree. Um, this question is closely related, but um, again, don't Feel free to. Uh, I don't want to restrict you to the to the words that I'm that I'm mentioning. Um, but I wrote, uh, "What are your thoughts around the economic? By economic, I mean housing, employment, etc., and social, uh, meaning demographic migration of long-term DC residents to nearby counties or even away, um, or sometimes in, within the city, uh, changes within the district." Sure. You know, one of my concerns about an opportunity that was missed is that more of our people did not buy property in D.C. when property was cheap. Mm. Now, uh, the price of housing, houses, condos, is out of reach of the average African-American, which is why they're moving into Ward 9, Prince George's County. Uh, Mm -hmm. They can't afford to live in D.C. Um, I saw 
1987, I was doing work with the National Council of Cities. I saw in 1987 in the lobby of their office building in downtown Washington, the motto for gentrification that has remade D.C., remade D.C. latte land instead of chocolate city. Right. That same motto has been implemented in Harlem, mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, um, in my hometown, Chicago, and all over the country. So white folks had planned to come back in and take over the inner city, raise the prices so that uh, prices of real estate to push out African Americans. So this this push and pull has been going on mm-hmm. for hundreds of years. And my disappointment, brother, is that not enough enough of our uh, the intellectuals within our communities, the leaders within our communities, have understand what the real issues are and have helped to move our people in an interest in a direction that would best suit our interests. Uh, you know, within African Americans within the, the DMV are the best educated African people on the planet. Mm-hmm. We have uh, more wealth, more concentrated wealth within our hands than anywhere else on the planet. So my question to, to our folk is, what have we done with that money? Mm-hmm. What are we doing? You know, what, what opportunities, job opportunities have we created for our children? We have not taught them the value of, of owning your own, of creating pathways for intergenerational wealth. We have squandered those opportunities. Many of us have squandered that opportunity because we were only thinking about ourselves. And as long as we remain selfish, then our enemy wins. Mm-hmm. So there is, uh, you know, with this growing of, of all things black, this attack against critical racism, this attack against Black Lives Matter, this attack about teaching American history, correct American history in classrooms throughout the United States, correct interpretations of slavery. We are under assault once again, just as we were under assault in uh, the late 1980s, 1990s with the African Senate movement, mm-hmm. we were under assault in the uh, 50s and 60s, this cycle repeats itself every 20 years or so. Mm. So not enough of our people have learned to to understand these cycles so that they can prepare themselves for what's coming and mitigate the destructive impact of, of white plans to see to it that black people remain permanently disenfranchised. Mm. Now, um, again, I completely agree. Two, two things just before I get jump back to the questions. You made me think about... Um, one, I think that that, again, as you already know, that that's by design, um, that, you know, they keep that, that allure of what attracts us, you know, whether it's economic, social, that, 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 that status of us wanting what we don't have. Again, like you said, that's, a, uh, that inferiority complex has been embedded within us. And then, um, me just again, speaking of my novice experience, I've been, um, to the continent twice, once, once to Liberia for internship. I was there for two months. And then, um, at the top of the year last year, up to South Africa to do my research now. Um, and again, to your points, a lot of a lot of us over here are, wa- are unaware of how the continent really looks. And then on a continent, a lot of them, they're still buying these media images of us. So, again, even there. Um, and then, like you said, historically, the education systems were all set up by the colonial administrations. So they don't even they don't even learn true African history to the point, again, like to double down on what you said. Again, it's, it's really nobody in the world, you know, with the exception of people, you know, in Europe. And the educated people over here who are really teaching us about us 
and and I think that's that's incredibly dangerous. Um, so the uh, two more questions for you. The um, next one I had is, and this is again, I really want your uh, opinion on this. Uh, you you spoke about it already. Um, considering all the changes, recent uh, commercial and residential development within DC over the last few decades, uh, can you speak to the founding or the building of the city and the historical aspects that are important um, to Africans? I know I'm aware of again Benjamin uh, Banneker's role of you know developing the city. Um, some of uh, me, uh, me and Mr. Freeman spoke a little bit about uh, the symbolism in terms of, you know, the Masonic influence and the development of the city and stuff like that. So I definitely wanted your opinion um, on the situation. Well, you know, um, it's clear if you understand the, the layout and design of Washington, D.C., it was modeled after ancient Egypt. Mm. And um, people only copy and steal from the best. Mm. So Egypt, the Egyptian footprint is all over Washington, D.C. It is all over the United States of America. We see it on the back of our dollars, mm. pyramids, dollar seeing eye. And all of these are African symbols. So Europeans understand power and how power can be used by anyone to help them advance their agenda. And so that is why, and one of my favorite quotes from John Lee Clark is that powerful people will never teach powerless people how to take power away from them. Mm. So it's our job, it's our responsibility to empower our people which is what IKG has been doing for 40 years. Mm -hmm. um, um, Carter D. Woodson organization was established. Now, he began Black History Month in my hometown, Chicago. And then he came to D.C. and set up his institution so that he can advance this work nationally. Right? So, um, so we need to know the work of, of, of Woodson. We need to know the work of um, Mary McLeod Bethune who also established an educational institution and a national organization to advance the rights of black women. We need to understand the role of Anthony Bowen, a formerly enslaved African in Prince George's County, who purchased his freedom at the age of 19, came into Washington, D.C., bought land, built a house. His house served as a, as a stop on the Underground Railroad. His house served as a school where he educated um, uh, enslaved, uh, formerly enslaved African people. He helped to develop a church. Hmm. He developed several businesses and hired his own people. So the building that uh, my offices are in is the former 12th Street YMCA, which was uh, formerly known as the Anthony Bourne YMCA, the first colored hmm. YMCA in the world. Hmm. So what, what we plan to do in the unveiling of the John Henry Clark Enhanced History Project in June of this year is to tell the story of the men and women who have been fighting to teach us our history and culture. And they have worked diligently to overcome the limitations of what I refer to as forbidden knowledge. Mm -hmm. There is information that is, that is restricted for people of African ancestry in Washington, D.C., in the school system of Washington, D.C., even at Howard University, hmm. other HBCUs uh, around the country and other cities around the country are, are suffering from the same problem. So my position has always been, and this is one of the reasons why I created uh, IKG 40 years ago, if we can raise the consciousness of a, of a small group of people who understand what, what are, who we are, the greatness that African people have, mm -hmm. and how to work strategically then we can set in motion a process to liberate the minds of African people uh, in D.C. 
in this country and all around the world. Our enemy knows that. Mm-hmm. That's why they work diligently to limit these, these opportunities. That's why there's liquor stores in every corner in our community, churches on every other corner, because they know if you can control the minds of Africans, then you control them for generations. So we're still fighting. Right now in 2022, we're still fighting for the minds of black people in mm-hmm. the United States. Completely agree. And, and I would just even add to the world. Um, I, uh, while I was listening, I was just making sure that I was, uh, I started recording on my phone because I was going to be mad at myself if I didn't have the recordings. So I had to make sure I had a backup recording. Um, so my apologies. That's why you just saw my hand. Okay. So my last question is this one. Um, and, and I'm just going to read it the way I wrote it. So again, as you already know, Washington DC is the epicenter of public policy, foreign affairs, the national issues, political issues that, you know, they like to discuss and obviously ours as well as international relations uh, because of the uh, the embassies, the international communities, you know, these big wigs that are here, and we don't even know who they are, but they, you know, movers and shakers making things happen, um, at least um, in, in, in their society. Uh, while many around the, the nation and the world travel or relocate here for political and social events, schools, their careers, and to visit museums, um, many native or long-term black residents you know, have limited access or resources to professional development and educational opportunities. Uh, so my question was, we could basically say, you know, D.C. is almost two cities at the same time, just like America. Um, we know we have east of the Anacostia and west of the Anacostia. So I just wanted to know, again, in your opinion, you know, considering all your research and, and work that you've been doing, um, what can you basically share your thoughts about the dichotomy within D.C.? Of course. Um, D.C., Washington, D.C. is reflection of the nation. Uh, we have always lived in a segregated environment. Uh, and as Father Flagler from Chicago said, white folk created the ghetto. White folk created redlining. Uh, they created restrictive covenants, which limited our ability to buy houses in certain communities, and then limiting uh, our ability to purchase homes in certain communities, which they then sucked all the resources out of to ensure that we were that we were poor. When I first came to D.C. in 1971, D.C., this was uh, uh, three years after the assassination of Dr. King. Mm. D.C. looked like a war zone. Mm. 14th and 14th and, uh, and Florida Avenue looked like a war zone. Burned out buildings everywhere. I cannot believe I was in the nation's capital. Mm. There, were, there were prostitutes on the corner. There were drug dealers everywhere. And I, walked, I, I lived at 16th and S. And we walked to Howard every day. And things were so bad at, at, at a certain point in D.C. The drug issues were so bad in D.C. that um, they would have the stoplight at the corner of 14th and Florida Avenue had a speaker such that every time the light turned red, the speaker would come on and it would say, stop, 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 because junkies would walk out to the street and get hit by cars. We just saw last week that there were five deaths over in Southeast who fit them. So we understand, and I can share with from my own personal experiences, drugs are marketed, are targeted within our communities here in D.C. and Southeast specifically, just like they are targeted to my communities on the south side of Chicago and the west side of Chicago. That is an organized effort on the part of politicians and police officers to funnel the drugs in certain communities so that they can then come in and arrest these people, arrest what uh, Michelle Alexander referred to as the low-hanging fruit. Right. That is 
Jim Crow. Uh, and with the privatization of prisons, uh, prisons are the new slavery. So if black folks don't wake up and see that what is happening now has been happening 100, 200, 300 years, the only thing that has changed is the date on the calendar. Hmm. Our people are still suffering just as we have always suffered. There's a few black millionaires, there's a few black billionaires, but the vast majority of our people are still disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. So it is incumbent upon those people of African ancestry power in Washington, D.C. care more about their, their, their future generations than they care about their self-esteem. Mm-hmm. So we have to revert back to the mindset we had when D.C. was segregated, when when black, college-educated black folk could not get, get a job in white institutions. So they were forced to get jobs in the segregated black high schools and elementary schools hmm. in Washington, D.C. So these black teachers who, under, who, had, who had a college education understood what these young children were going to be confronted with. So they made sure that these children came to school ready to learn. They poured their knowledge into mm. them. And so children back then in the 40s and 50s were much more articulate than they are today. Mm. They understood the value of reading and writing. They understood the, the importance of, of, of articulation. So such that we look at what we have now, where we're like maybe two, three generations into uh, the children of crack addicts. Mm-hmm. Children who are not prepared to come into a classroom, and you've seen that through freedom school, brother. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and so right now the mantra is among many of our people that to respond is to be white. Right. To talk correctly is to talk white. They say that out of ignorance because they don't know that Africans were the first human beings of the planet, the first people to read, write, and reason, the first people to think, the first people to think. They don't know that information because there has been an organized effort in the public school system to deny our children that knowledge as a consequence of exactly what we have in our city today. Mm-hmm. This is a plan. This is not accident. So it is incumbent upon those educated African Americans, young and old, to begin to give back and to lift up someone else. Each one teach one, each one reach one. That is the only way we will change our relationship with this country because it has been proven over and over again that America doesn't give a damn about us. And it's only when we care enough about our well-being and stand together that we force change in this country. The Voting Rights Act was shut down. Mm. So anytime your rights to vote, a basic right that is guaranteed every citizen of the United States has to be legislated in existence, it means that you have no rights. Right. Sometimes cops continue to shoot down your children and there is no national outcry, it means that you have no rights. Mm-hmm. So Sam Yet, who taught at Howard University in the uh, School of Communication, wrote a book called The Choice mm-hmm. and, and in the 1970s. That book is as relevant today as it was when he first wrote it. We still have a choice to make as to how we're going to live in this country. And one of the first things that we must do is to love ourselves as people of African ancestry, to love Mother Africa, and and to be proud to demonstrate our love for Africa, to travel to Africa, to develop relationships 
Africans so that we can build bridges together in order for us to lift together mm -hmm. and, and, and take control of our destiny as opposed to allowing white folk, uh, white folk in America, Europeans, or the Chinese mm -hmm. to determine our future. So this, this is a do-or-die moment in black history. Mm -hmm. Step up, man up, woman up, and take responsibility for ourselves. Well, I fear my brother, it may be over. No, I, I agree. Um, the only thing I can speak to, I'm going to stop recording now. Thank you for um, answering the questions. Um, let me make sure I got this right here. The only thing I was going to say is that um, 